Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the BRP Inc. Full Year 22 First Quarter Results Conference Call. For participants who use the telephone line, it is recommended to turn off the sound on your device. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Philip Deschain. Please go ahead, Mr. Deschain. Thank you, Simon. Good morning and welcome to BRP's conference call for the first quarter of fiscal year 22. Joining me this morning are José Boisjoli, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Sébastien Martel, Chief Financial Officer. Before we move to the prepared remarks, please note that certain forward-looking statements will be made during the call and that future results could differ from those implying these statements. Also note that forward-looking information is based on certain assumptions and is subject to a number of risks and uncertainties. I invite you to consult BRP's and DNA for listing of these. Also during the call, reference will be made to supporting slide, and you can find the presentation on our website at brp.com under the Investor Relations section. So with that, I'll turn the call over to Jose. Thank you, Philip. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Building on the momentum we had over the last several quarters, we experienced a solid start to the year with record first quarter results, which came in above our expectations. This growth was driven by the fact we are lapping a quarter in which our manufacturing operations were partially shut down, coupled with ongoing robust demand for products. Given these strong results and continued positive outlook for the business, we are increasing our normalized EPS guidance for the year by 50 cents to a range of $7.75 to $8.50 per share. We are maintaining a wider-than-usual guidance range given the ongoing challenges we are facing with the supply chain. I will touch on this in more detail in a few minutes. Now let's turn to slide four for a more detailed look at key financial highlights for the first quarter. Revenue grew 47% to an all-time first quarter high of $1.8 billion dollars primarily driven by higher volume across all our product lines, especially for parts and accessory business, coupled with lower than expected sales program. In fact, our revenues not only surpassed the same period last year, but also increased 36% compared to the first quarter of fiscal year 20. Our normalized EBITDA was up threefold to $375 million and our normalized earning per share reached $2.53. Not only were our financial results solid, but consumer demand remained very strong in the quarter, as you can see on slide five. Globally, our retail grew in all key regions while continuing to outpace the industry. In North America, our passport retail growth accelerated from the fourth quarter up 39%, of 49% when excluding snowmobile. We also had a strong performance in international markets, with retail up 9% in Latin America, 
32% in EMEA, and 83% in Asia-Pacific. By product line, we grew across all of our lineups except Snowmobile as our dealer ran out of units at the end of the season. For side-by-side -side growth was moderate, more moderate, as it is also suffered from limited product availability due to low inventory. I will provide more color by product line in a moment. Turning to slide six. Despite the strong demand in the first quarter, we expect retail growth to be limited in the second and third quarters, mainly due to the ongoing supply chain constraints, which are evolving very rapidly. When we last update you in late March, one of our key challenges was the logistic congestion at different ports. Our team was successful at addressing these issues by finding alternative solutions. Today, logistics are predictable and manageable. Currently, we are managing the tight availability and delivery delay for certain raw materials. In this case, we are working with our supplier to find substitute or new source of supply, which are creating some delay. For the past month, our main challenge has been dealing with the shortage of semiconductors. This is affecting some of our tier one, but also some of our tier two suppliers where we have less visibility. This is presently the main source of disruption in our operation because finding alternative parts would require technical changes. Given these issues, some of our units will need to be retrofitted. This means the unit is missing a few components and it will move to final assembly when the components are received. This situation will delay the timing of certain deliveries and temporarily increase our work in process. Regardless of these challenges, our objective is to deliver all orders by the end of our fourth quarter. Our plants are running at full capacity and we are in the process of increasing production capacity at URS and Queretaro to make this happen. We plan to work through these issues for the balance of the year to deliver our production schedule. Take note that all of this is increasing our costs versus last year, but it has been factored into our guidance. Turning to slide seven, given those challenges and the fact the impact on production, dealer inventory will remain low throughout the year. To better illustrate the situation, we have provided statistics from the past few years. In fiscal year 18, 19, and 20, you can observe on the graph that our level of inventory in our dealer network was in sync with retail at about 175 days. During those years, our retail was growing low double digits. In fiscal year 21, given the surge in demand, coupled with our two-month production shutdown, inventory dropped to 80 days. In the first quarter of fiscal year 22, it dropped as low as 40 days. With the continued strong demand, we expect to remain at this level of inventory for the remainder of the year, which will limit our retail sales growth. Also, it is now clear that inventory replenishment will take place in fiscal year 23. Turning to slide eight, we continue to experience strong consumer demand across all our product lines. 
New entrants continue to enter the industry, representing 37% of buyers in the first quarter, compared to about 20% historically. This is good news for the industry, and it doesn't seem to be driven only by the impact from the pandemic. According to our survey, only 7% of new entrants said they purchased a power sport vehicle as a COVID distraction. In fact, new entrants are a more diverse group representing younger people and more women and families. In addition, according to our survey, 82% of buyers are not making a trade-off when purchasing a unit. Contrary to our, to our and general belief, only 3% of buyers declare to have purchased a unit instead of traveling. There are multiple, multiple positive signs of sustained consumer interest. This is the fourth consecutive quarter of double-digit growth for the power sport industry. Website visits are up over 60% compared to last year for all our brands. And we have a strong demand for our products, including record snowmobile spring unit booking, the strongest start of the personal watercraft season in over a decade, and our three-wheel vehicle rider education program registration are trending above our target. These are all positive trends for the mid to long-term growth of our industry. Now let's turn to slide nine for year-round products. Revenue were up 44% to $923 million, mainly driven by a higher volume, lower sales program, and a richer mix of side-by-side vehicles. Looking at side-by-side -side vehicle season to date retail, 10 months into season 21, the North American side-by-side -side industry is up high 20%, while our Canam side-by-side -side vehicle is up low 20%. As we were impacted, by limited product availability. This is also impacting our retail performance in international market as we've delivered more units to North America. As a result, our retail performance was up high single digit in EME and mid teen percent in Asia Pacific. Still, we are very happy with the strong consumer demand for our lineup and we look forward to ramping up production as we expect the URIS3 facility to come online at the end of the third quarter. Turning to ETV, the North American industry is also seven months into the season 21 and retail is up in the low 30%. Canam is performing in line with the industry with retail up in the low 30% over the same period. For both ETV and side-by-side, -side, our worldwide network inventory is at a historic low. Now looking at three-wheel vehicle. Now six months into season 21, the North American three-wheel industry retail is up about 90%. Canam three-wheel vehicle is off to a very strong start. It is the fastest growing brand in the motorcycle industry so far this season with retail up over 140%. We are very happy with the momentum we have with three-wheel vehicle. The retail trend is very positive. The rider education program registration continued to trend above expectation, with registration up over 50% versus our internal target, which bode well for the sustainability of consumer demand. And we continue to attract a younger and more diverse consumer base, <coughs> sorry, 
notably with retail to women up 166%, diverse community up 190%, and new entrant up 180%. These are exceptional results, and we are very excited at the outlook for the three-wheel vehicle business appear promising. Turning to seasonal product on slide 10. Seasonal product revenue were up also 44% to $463 million, driven primarily from higher shipment and richer mix of personal watercraft and lower sales program. Now looking at personal watercraft retail, only six months into the North American season 21, the industry retail is up in the low 70%. Sea-Do retail is up mid 90% outpacing the industry and gaining market share in all the industry segments in which we compete. The trend is also very good in international markets, with retail up over 110% in EMEA, 130% in Australia and New Zealand, and up over 30% in Brazil. This year is the strongest start of the retail season that we have experienced in over 20 years. Given its this strong start, unit availability is already getting tighter heading into the summer. We expect to end the season with a very low level of inventory again this year, which should lead to strong shipment in the next fiscal year. Turning to snowmobile, the North American snowmobile industry ended the season 21 with retail up in the high teen percent. Skidoo retail was also up high teen percent over the same period and ended the season with the number one market position in every industry segment in which it competes, and with its highest market share in history. Our momentum was also very good in Scandinavia and Russia, with retail up low 20% for the quarter. Turning to slide 11, looking ahead, our snowmobile business is very well positioned for season 22 as we have a very strong lineup, notably with the introduction of the Lynx brand in North America and the return of an all-time favorite, the Skidoo Mag-Z. We ended season 21 with record low network inventory and unit pre-sold to consumer are up 157% over last year. As a reminder, spring units are special model only available at pre-order and allow us to better forecast volume for the upcoming season. This year, exceptional strong spring unit orders represent roughly 70% of the upcoming season volume, compared to about 35% historically. This reflects the continued very strong consumer interest for power sport product and snowmobile in particular. Continuing on slide 12 with a look of of power sport part accessories and apparel and OEM engine, which experienced a similar trend as vehicle. Revenue were up 91% to $300 million, driven by higher volume of replacement parts due to increased product usage combined with strong unit retail, which generated increased accessory sales across all our product lines. It is clear that our link ecosystem accessory strategy is driving demand and paying off. Despite supply chain challenges that also affected PNA, we've delivered exceptional results. Now looking at Marine on slide 13. 
Revenue were up 11% to $122 million as strong boat shipment more than offset the impact of the wind-down of the Evinrude outboard engine. Looking at our different brands in terms of retail performance for the quarter, Manitou was up over 80%, Alumacraft over 60%, and Tellwater was about up was about up 40%. All in all, we are pleased with the performance of our boat brands and are on track for the introduction of new products with the GOES engine. With that, I will turn the call over to Sébastien. Thank you, José, and good morning, everyone. The revenues reached a record level for a first quarter at $1.8 billion, up 47% from the same period last year. Gross profit margin also reached a record level at 30%. Compared to last year, our gross profit margin mainly benefited from lower sales programs and better fixed cost absorption, as last year's first quarter margin suffered from the temporary production shutdown. The margins also benefited from the exit of the outboard engine business and our continued focus on introducing products with better margin. When compared to our expectations for the quarter, our gross profit margin was better than expected, driven by a favorable product mix resulting from stronger than anticipated P&A sales and lower than planned sales programs due to the strength of the retail demand and faster than anticipated inventory turns. With this strong gross profit generation and lower than expected operating expenses, we delivered our strongest quarter ever in terms of normalized EBITDA of $379 million. And this resulted in normalized diluted earnings per share of $2.53. We generated $379 million of cash from operations in the quarter and invested $153 million in working capital, notably for inventory, where, due to supply chain issues, our work-in-process inventory was higher. This higher work-in-process inventory allows us to more efficiently manage our operations in this supply chain-constrained environment and allows us to ship units to dealers quicker when the missing components come in. We also invested $97 million in CapEx, and returned $288 million to our shareholders through share buybacks, completing our previously announced normal course issuer bid. Turning to slide 16 for a look at the key drivers of our normalized net income growth for the quarter. As you can see from the chart, our normalized net income grew $199 million from last year's first quarter, driven by a positive impact of volume, mix, pricing and sales programs for $388 million, which was partly offset by negative impacts from production costs and depreciation expense for $30 million, higher operating expenses for $70 million as we continue investing for our long-term growth, and higher normalized tax expense for $89 million. This resulted in $222 million of normalized net income for the quarter, a performance that was stronger than we had anticipated, driven by the continued strong demand, lower sales programs, and very strong P&A sales. Turning to slide 17 for a look at network inventory. As Jose mentioned, given the exceptionally strong retail growth we have experienced over the last year, our North American Power Sport dealer inventory ended the first quarter at a historic low level being down 73% versus a year ago. This, combined with our finished good inventory, represents a decline of over $1.6 billion in inventory value compared to last year, Despite increasing shipments in recent quarters, all our product lines are seeing significant inventory decline. 
For ORV, the network inventory is down about 80% as the demand for Can-Am brand is higher than ever and everything we ship is being retailed very fast. For snowmobile, Skidoo had a very strong season, resulting in a record low level of inventory at the end of Q1, down 83% versus last year. And for our summer products, both PWC and three-wheel are off to a very strong start of the season, with consumers purchasing their units earlier than typical. Their network inventories are down 64% and 54% respectively. These low levels of inventory are limiting our ability to grow retail in the short term, but the demand for our lineups remains very strong, and we expect to resume market share gains, more specifically for ORV, as product availability improves in the network starting later this year. Now turning to slide 18 for an update on the guidance for the year. As Jose mentioned, we are reviewing upward our year-end guidance driven by the stronger-than-expected first-quarter results, notably for our PNA business, the very strong spring units booking for snowmobile, and lower-than-expected sales programs throughout the year, given our very low network inventory position. We also expect that we will continue dealing with supply chain constraints that are likely going to lead to delays in the reception of components, which in turn would lead to delays in the shipment of products. Based on the visibility we have today, we believe that these supply chain challenges will impact the timing of product deliveries in Q2 and Q3, but our full year volume target remains intact. We have included additional costs and maintain a wider than usual guidance range to account for the potential impact of these supply chain constraints and for commodity price increases. Following these adjustments, we now expect our total company revenue to grow between 28 and 33%, our normalized EBITDA to grow between 27 and 35%, and our normalized DPS to end between 775 and 850, representing a growth of 44 to 58% over last year. Now looking at slide 19 for some additional color on the quarterly outlook for the year. In terms of normalized DPS, as mentioned, we expect the supply chain constraints to weigh more on the second and third quarter, therefore pushing more volume in the fourth quarter. Given this dynamic, we expect to generate a modest normalized DPS growth in Q2, a slight decline in Q3, and strong growth in Q4. In terms of our expected North American power sport retail, as previously mentioned, our low level of network inventory, coupled with the impact of supply chain constraints and the fact that we will be lapping very strong quarters last year, should lead to retail sales decline in Q2 and Q3 and a return to growth in Q4 as we benefit from improved unit deliveries and additional production capacity, notably for side-by-side -side with the Juarez Tree facility. For the year, we expect our North American power sport retail to end somewhere between flat to up high single digit with SSV generating the strongest, strongest growth. On that, I will turn the call over to Jose. Thank you, Sebastian. To conclude, fiscal 21 was an exceptional year and the momentum continue into fiscal 22. Our team is doing an excellent job managing the ongoing strong demand for product with all our facilities running at full capacity. Despite the supply chain issue, given the continued strong consumer demand and related lower sales program, we are well positioned to finish the year with solid results and expect to deliver our increased guidance for the year. In addition, 
we are continuing to position BRP for the future by driving different projects to generate long-term growth, including turning new entrants into lifelong customers, pursuing new market shaping product introduction, taking advantage of additional production capacity with the ramp-up of URS3, Queretaro, and Sturdivant, as well as executing on our bold investment in electric vehicles. I would like to thank all our employees for continuing to diligently follow our COVID safety protocol and for working longer hours, both in production and administrative functions. I would also like to thank our supplier for doing extra work to meet our orders and our dealers for their patience and for managing consumer on the front line. Lastly, I would like to thank them all for their agility, dedication, and resilience in these unusual times. On that note, I will turn the call over for to the operator for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Robin Farley with UBS. Your line is open. Um, great, thanks. I, I wanted to ask about the um, two things related to um, dealer restocking. Um, one is, I, I wonder if you can help quantify the restocking opportunity, which I realize is, is kind of a fiscal 23 event, um, and, and just thinking that you know maybe inventory wouldn't get back all the way to 175 days, but um, so if you can help us quantify um, that. And then also, um, we had heard from, from dealers that potentially some production was limited by the availability of engines that where there's some uh, uh, shared engine capacity between snow and and um, and off-road and so just I wonder if you could kind of address whether um, whether that is limiting uh, you know whether that will limit your snow production or your side-by-side um, -side off-road production later this year is there a kind of a trade-off that you have to make there um, because of the, the Rotax engine capacity thanks Good morning, Robin. I'll take the first part. I think Jose is going to take the second part. Um, in terms of uh, replenishment opportunity, obviously, as you said, uh, we were historically were running with 170 days of inventory. Uh, our, our guess is that the industry will be running lower, but obviously, as the industry grows, as we gain market share, in absolute dollars, uh, you're probably looking at an opportunity of restocking in the range of uh, well above a billion dollars. So uh, obviously, it is quite sizable. And as Jose alluded to in the prepared remarks, we believe that that restocking is going to happen uh, next year because of continued demand for the products and the low levels of inventory we have now. And Robin, to your uh, second question about uh, parts availability at Rotax, uh, dealer are right uh, in the sense that uh, we have limited capacity of engine component and we are trying to manage uh, with them uh, between product line to better optimize uh, the situation. Uh, then this is an ongoing discussion we're having with our uh, dealers, with our suppliers, try to maximize what we can do to uh, respond to the demand. And, and that depends a lot on the seasonability of the product. I mean, 
dealer don't need now snowmobile. Uh, they will start to deliver it to consumer in October. Then this is what we're trying to manage the best we can. But definitely uh, there is some some uh, challenges uh, on the engine component. Okay, great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Cameron Dirksen with National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Uh, thanks. Uh, good, good morning. Uh, just wanted to, uh, I guess, questions on the, on the retail. Um, I think Seb, you said that uh, your expectation for the full year re uh, retail was uh, was flat to up high single digits. Just wanted to confirm that number. And you know, in addition to that, is there any way you can sort of give us an idea of what your expectation is for retail this year versus two years ago? Obviously, last year was a bit of a, a bit of an anomaly. Uh, yeah, good morning, Cameron. Yes, that's correct. Uh, you, you, you correctly quoted me. Uh, so uh, flat to up high single digit. Um, obviously, the retail will vary on, uh, quarter by quarter. This quarter, we had very strong retail. There was some pull forward from, uh, from, uh, from, from Q2 for personal watercraft and three-wheel. What I could tell you is if I look at the second quarter, uh, when I compare it to two years ago, I believe the second quarter should be flat in retail compared to two years ago. So obviously two years ago was a strong quarter, uh, continued strong demand, but obviously we'll be lapping a very strong quarter compared to last year, and that's why we'll be down compared to last year. Okay, and, and do you have any, I guess, a number for kind of the full year? I mean, I think that, you know, the expectation would maybe be in the high teens or even 20% versus two years ago for the full year? Uh, yeah, for the full year, you'll be in the high uh, high teens to low twenties. Okay, that that that's excellent. And and just just want to follow up with the question on the on the three wheel market because you're doing obviously very very well there ahead of ahead of plan. Uh, is there any way to, to maybe talk about the difference in in I guess in retail demand between Spider and Riker, or is it is it really broad based across the the entire product portfolio? Yeah, the, for sure the Riker is attracting a younger customer base because of the price point. Uh, but I would say that all the program we put together, you know, the uh, the, uh, the the program where the, the people do the rider education program, uh, we have many Riker uh, customer, but also many RTF3 uh, customer. Uh, you know, uh, the woman on of the woman on the road. Uh, community um, is, is affecting all the models. Then Riker, because of price point, definitely attract a younger customer base, but I would say the momentum on three-wheel is, is the three models. Then we're very, very happy. Okay, very well. Uh, thanks very much. Your next question comes from the line of Craig Kennison with Baird. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, and thanks for taking my question. It's really on allocation. What are you doing to, uh, I guess, fairly allocate inventory across your dealer network given the shortages? Yeah. Uh, good morning, Craig. Uh, we don't. I mean, we don't favor one dealer versus the other. We try to be as uh, equitable to uh, everyone because. <clears throat> Short term, you could do uh, f uh, favorism, but uh, we don't do that because it's not helping uh, the second dealer and uh, mid to long term uh, will be uh, will be impacted by this. Then 
we're trying as much as we can to allocate, obviously, by countries and after that by region and after that by dealers. But we're trying to be very fair uh, between all the dealer network uh, to make sure we protect the mid to long term. And we talked about our, uh, our dealer value proposition and one of the key elements is our o, uh, OMS system, the order management system. And that is, a, I would say, an objective model where a dealer places an order, but the orders are also correlated to what their market share targets are. So uh, that obviously uh, makes sure that everyone's treated fairly. Thanks. And then what systems are in place to help dealers either trade new inventory or even used inventory among themselves. Is there anything BRP can do to help facilitate, I guess, better liquidity uh, to, to help your dealers help themselves? I mean, in each region, the dealer has, each dealer has a network of uh, other dealer where they typically trade between themselves. Uh, but that being said, in the last, 12 months, there, is, there was definitely less trade than typical because every dealer wants to hold to every unit they can. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Benoit Poirier with Desjardins Capital Markets. Your line is open. Yeah. Good morning, everyone, and uh, congratulations for the good quarter. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the uh, capital deployment strategy in light of your uh, favorable market environment, strong balance sheet, and whether a substantial issuer bid is something that you could consider? Good morning, Benoit. Obviously, uh, a sound capital allocation strategy has been uh, part of our success. And, and we, as you said, we do have a, a strong balance sheet that provides us with flexibility. As we've always said, our priority is to invest in, in the growth of the company. And when you look at our CapEx guidance for the year, up to $600 million investment, we, we maintain that, uh, that disciplined approach. Uh, as you also saw in our Q1, we, uh, we completed the NCIB. We invested almost $300 million in share buybacks. That completes the NCIB that we started last December. We purchased about 4.3 million shares. Uh, so the next opportunity to do NCIB would start in December. Uh, and, and until then, well, as you said, the good news is we have a strong balance sheet. Uh, we have that flexibility. And if we decide to be opportunistic in, in buying shares, uh, we do have that, uh, we do have that uh, possibility. So um, no decision taken now, but uh, obviously, as I said, there's a time between now and the next NCIB window. Okay, that, that's great. And you talked, Jose, about the uh, supply chain constraint. I was wondering if, uh, you, if there's also impacting the ramp up at URIS3 Keratero uh, and also Sturdivan with respect to the uh, new Project M. And given the strong consumer demand, any new capacity increase require either at Valco or in Austria to deal with the uh, road tax? Uh, good morning, Benoit. First, uh, URI3 is on plan. Uh, then this is doing uh, good. Then we we are planning to ramp up production uh, on the back end of Q3. And Project M in Sturdivan uh, is also on plan. Uh, manufacturing, the, the motorized hall will be made in Kiritaro. This is on plan. And the Sturdivan facility revamp uh, is also on plan. Then end of Q4, 
will start production. Then, um, and on, in terms of engine, and, and maybe to to uh, to complement on what I answered to Robin in the first question, overall the engine uh, we have a very good dealer net supplier network. We manufacture our key component ourselves, and we were already in an investment mode to uh, to satisfy to the growth we had. And obviously, there is some timing of equipment, but the engine capacity uh, is a is a very short period. It's a far very short period of time. Then overall, uh, we're happy. With you need to realize that in fiscal year 23. URAS3 will be full running, Kiritaru with watercraft, 30%. There will be Project M, and we're tweaking uh, to optimize production in other sites. Then we feel we have the, the right capacity uh, for fiscal year 23. Okay, that's great. That's it for me. Thank you. Let's see. Your next question comes from the line of Fred Whiteman with Wolf Research. Your line is open. Hey guys, good morning. Thanks for taking the question. I just wanted to, to look back at sort of the commentary you provided last quarter for your retail expectations. I think you talked about high single-digit retail, and if we look at what you posted, you came in quite a bit above that uh, for the full quarter. So what does that mean for these retail parameters that you sort of outlined here for 2Q and 3Q? Uh, what drove the outperformance? Was it better than expected consumer demand, better availability uh, in terms of supply? Um, and how does that shake out for sort of the guidance that you've given us? Yeah, good morning, Fred. Uh, you're right that we did call out that uh, retail would be a bit soft, more softer than what we actually uh, delivered in terms of numbers. I think the surprise was in the accelerated retail for personal watercraft and, and three-wheel. And obviously, uh, production is, is set at a certain level. So whatever we retail in Q1 is retail that we lose in the second quarter. And so that acceleration provided for stronger growth in the in the first quarter versus what we were expecting. Obviously, it's going to impact our retail expectation for the second quarter. Makes sense. And just circling back to the allocation question from earlier, can you talk about how pre-sold units sort of factor into the internal allocation system um, and if you've seen any change in sort of dealer order patterns tied to pre-sold units specifically? Yeah. First, we're trying to we're trying our, our goal is to order every pre-sold unit to the consumer. Like give you the example for snowmobile, uh, our record of pre-sold our our next production season, the pre-sold unit is at a record high, and we're trying to order every single unit that is pre-sold for every product line. Uh, we have less visibility on off-road, but we still have the team uh, is doing their best to make sure we protect that everything is is pre-sell to the consumers. Got it. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Martin Andry with Stiefel. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my first question is on uh, your uh, parts, apparel, and accessories. Uh, it, uh, it increased twice as fast as your revenues uh, during the quarter. So I was wondering if you can give us some color on what explains that uh, strong performance. Well, it's a mix of two things. Uh, the product usage, customer have used the product, is using the product a lot more than typical. We saw it uh, during the snowmobile season uh, this winter. 
Then product usage is, is one element. The second one is the accessories, uh, you know, the, the link ecosystem that we put together where many accessories can fit many product line. The same accessory can fit many product line. This is really, this is doing extremely well. Then it's a combination of those two things that are generating the growth. Okay, thank you. And uh, my my other question was on uh, on your survey. You know, you shared some very interesting data point on on the consumers. You, you you're quoting three percent of buyers purchase a unit instead of traveling, and you were mentioning seven percent of of new entrants uh, purchase a vehicle. Only seven percent as as a COVID distraction. So, you know, were, were you surprised by by these results? And and you know, if if staycation and COVID. Um, explain just a small portion of, of the growth, then, then what does explain uh, the, the surge in demand that you've seen for, for PowerSport products this year? Then first, uh, just as a reminder, every at the end of each quarter, we, we do a survey about a thousand customers who purchase un, a new unit during the quarter. And uh, yes, we were surprised by a few numbers. Uh, new entrant is growing 37% in Q1 fiscal year 22 versus historically 20, but last quarter, uh, fiscal year 21, Q1 quarter was at 30%. This, this is increasing. The two number that we were also surprised is the 7% uh, that only 7% said that it was COVID distraction. Then a big portion, it's true interest to the power sport. And the other one is the 3% uh, that uh, uh, trade off for, uh, for traveling. Then those are extremely strong um, uh, results, uh, and we are very happy. And, and you need, I, I think we need to give to our marketing team uh, very good, uh, they've done a very good job to, if you look at our website today versus what it was a year ago, our website are better craft to uh, make it easy for the people who don't know the industry. We try to educate the customer how and where to ride. We try to educate them to make sure they select the right product. And we encourage them to ride, uh, uh, promoting community and women off on road and uh, the, uh, the, the program for riding education. Then I think it's a combination of all this that uh, is giving those incredible results. Okay, and were, were, was that the first time that you were asking these questions about um, purchase instead of traveling and COVID distraction, just to see if uh, if we have some benchmark as out that evolved? Yeah, this is that was the first time we're asking that question. And every every quarter, you know, if you want to do a good survey, you need a certain number of questions, not too many, but not too little. <laughs> and we try to remove the one that are less critical and and had the. The, 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 the most relevant one, and the, the traveling was the first time. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Your next, uh, your next question comes from the line of Sean Collins with Citigroup Research. Your line is open. Great, thanks. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Um, 
My, my question is on today's unique uh, inventory environment and its impact on, on retail results. Um, today's lack of inventory or scarcity of products is, is certainly a challenge, maybe a high-class challenge, but still a challenge. I wanted to ask if there are any compu comparable period uh, periods from the past where you experienced a similar environment, and, and I'm curious how that may have played out and resolved itself. Any, any um, historical context might be helpful. Thanks. Then I would say uh, that's an interesting question. I would say that I saw a period like we're going through with a product line. I remember uh, BRP started uh, producing watercraft uh, in 1988, and in the mid-90s, we were not able to supply to the demand. Uh, for three, four years, there was no use out there, and, and it, the, the growth was incredible. Then I saw over the years in, in our industry, one product line taking off versus the others, but having the whole industry, all product line like this, I think is the first time in the history of Parsport. Okay, I understand, that's helpful. So it, it really is truly unique. Uh, maybe just a, a brief follow-up. You know, as you experience supply chain challenges and, and some rising input costs, uh, just curious, any, any uh, commentary on how well and successful you are to kind of pass on those, those costs to the, to the consumer? Thanks. Yeah, on the cost side, uh, just to give you a sense, on the marine where uh, aluminum costs and woods are very critical, uh, we already uh, announced uh, a, a special surcharge uh, that was effective June 1st, uh, and the price increase uh, will be announced shortly uh, for being effective July 1st with the model year change. On the power sports side, um, obviously right now, many of our suppliers are hedged. Then this whole year, we are partially hedged, and every year we increase our pricing between 1% to 2%. That's typical. And... Uh, the model year change for ORV is July 1st, and for watercraft it's in September, and we'll announce price increase at the model year change. Then that's the way we plan it uh, for the, uh, the, the H2 uh, for all those product lines. Great. Uh, that is helpful insight. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Morrison with TD Securities. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, can you talk about, going back to Juarez 3, can you talk about the ramp trajectory of those extra 50,000 units? Is that a methodical ramp or do you hit the ground running? And then also in terms of Caratero, same question for PwC. And when will that commence running? Is that a Q4 or Q1 event? Yeah, then let's start with URIS3. Uh, URIS3, uh, the construction is ongoing. Uh, we already have a team uh, training uh, employee, and the ramp-up will be on the back end of uh, Q3. Then the way you can see it, um, the, the, let's say you say the, the production will run uh, three, four months this year, this fiscal year, then uh, you can probably count maybe at 50%, something like that. Uh, next year, obviously, uh, in fiscal year 22, you can count the 50% additional capacity. That's for URS3. Queretaro, uh, the installation uh, will be done for the start of production uh, in uh, the fall. 
that means when production restart in August, uh, there will be some uh, additional capacity for watercraft. But Project M, which is a new product, this is coming uh, in Q4. Okay, and then changing gears to the cost side of the equation, Seb, uh, the $300 million in cost savings from M25, is that put on hold or deferred at all with the current dynamics, or can you update us on where we are with that and, and, and what more of that entails? Well, obviously, there, there were many levers to the $300 million cost saving. As I said the last time, uh, obviously, the team is very focused on, on making sure we, we, we are producing all the units that we can produce. Uh, but one of the big pillars of uh, M25, the 300 million, is also introducing products with better margins. And obviously, as you see, our performance this quarter was very strong, and some of that is driven by the the engineering that we've done in our product, the modularity approach. So, um, so I'm not worried about our ability to get to that 300 million. Uh, especially with, um, we'll have again low levels of inventory. And what we're learning on sales programs, there are some learnings that will stay with us even when the industry comes back to a more normal way of operating. Can you just give us a sense of how far you are through it at this point in time? Oh, uh, again, tough to call. Uh, Brian, we'll obviously look forward to updating uh, investors and analysts in the near future on our M25 plan, and uh, we'll give you more color then. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from the line of Derek DeLay with Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open. Yeah, hi all. Um, just one for me, just on the gross margins. Um, you know, obviously we've seen some strong gross margin performance here with, uh, you know, limited um, promotional spending and, and, and sales programs. Has the normalized gross margin in, in your view changed going forward? It was, you know, sort of call it mid 20% prior to the pandemic? Is, is that stepped up in your view? Well, for this year, uh, we, well, we finished last year very strong gross margin, and our expectation for this year is that we should be slightly up compared to fiscal year 21. Um, as part of our N25 plan when, and our, our, uh, our target to deliver $300 million cost savings, some of that is going to be margin improvement. Um, obviously, this quarter we benefited from a, a higher proportion of pack sales, and so that is lifting the margin. Uh, but going forward, yes, I do believe that as we uh, we are, are doing a better usage of our assets, uh, we continue introducing products with better margins. Uh, we've exited the outboard engine business as well. Uh, these are all elements that will help bring the gross margin up. Okay, no, that's helpful. And then actually just one more. Um, R&D kind of typically run at like a 4, 4.5% of, of revenue um, percentage. Is that something we should expect to continue going forward as well? Yes, yes. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Jamie Katz with Morningstar. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, I don't think it was really delineated whether or not the supply chain uh, issues that you were seeing were as pervasive for the boat or marine business. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about that or whether the throughput has been um, slightly more consistent in that segment? Yeah, good morning, Jimmy. Uh, yes, all product lines are affected uh, and, and uh, depending obviously of the seasonality uh, and uh, 
but between all product lines, it's about the same the same uh, challenges that we're facing. After that, and that's where I think our team is doing an excellent job working with our suppliers. Sometimes we try to, uh, to allocate the parts to one product line versus the others. Uh, an example, right now, uh, we don't need snowmobile. Uh, we're producing snowmobile with some missing part that will, the, the vehicle will need to be retrofitted, but we have time because uh, snowmobile retail is starting really in October. Then that's the type of thing uh, to optimize the situation. Uh, we need to work with our suppliers and we need to work uh, internally between product line to make sure that we optimize the situation to first deliver on consumer orders and try to honor uh, uh, all orders from consumer and dealers that we have on it. Okay. And then I don't think I heard the number, but have you guys laid out uh, what you expect increased commodity costs to um, cost for you or what they'll account for this year in your estimates? Uh, no, I haven't given any color, but I, I'm, I'm more than happy to do so. If I look at Q1 logistics, uh, commodity costs had an impact of about 190 basis points on the margin, and I'm expecting that to continue uh, for the rest of the year. Obviously, with the higher volume with the sales programs, uh, good mix will be able to offset uh, a lot of that. But the expectation is what we saw in Q1 is going to continue for the rest of the year. Okay, and then is there any? Um, thoughts about how you think your market share will pan out at the end of the year? Will you be able to sort of outpace your competitors in filling the channel going forward, or um, do you sort of perceive the constraints as equal across the industry at this point? Thanks. Well, obviously, with a significant increase in production capacity in the fourth quarter with side-by-side, -side, uh, we believe that we uh, it will provide us with a, 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 an important competitive advantage uh, in our ability to replenish inventory and supply to demand. So that should be driving market share gains uh, for side-by-side -side business. Okay. Thank you. Again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Derek Johnson with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Uh, hey, uh, good morning. I sort of have the inverse question to what uh, Greg, uh, Craig asked about um, retail ordering. And uh, is, do you have in place, what do you have in place in policing over-ordering since product is so difficult to get? Um, at the dealer level. And the other question I had was about uh, your own inventory with yard inventory down 34%, but your materials and whip up 64 um, Have you had mismatches like that before in your past, and is there any risk to sort of obsolescence of the whip that you, that you have on the books right now? Then good morning, Eric. Uh, I, will, I, will have, I will answer the first question, Sebastian, the second. Uh, on, on the allocation uh, question, Obviously, seasonal products are very different than uh, uh, off-road or year-round products. Seasonal products, like we have a pretty good idea of, uh, I mean, we know exactly how each product line perform and how each region and each dealer perform. And we can plan for a growth the following year. 
And that's why we have like a, a target for each dealer. And after that, depending of uh, how the dealer pre-sold a unit or depending of how much you want unit for the following year, it's a discussion with, with uh, the, the salespeople. Then it's not like, uh, uh, give me your order and your wish list. We try not to disappoint the dealer uh, by uh, letting dream about the big numbers that we cannot deliver. And this have worked very well for everything that is seasonal product. On the uh, off-road side, right now we're working on allocation. And it's our job to make sure, like I answered to Craig, that we don't favor a region versus the others. Uh, we're trying also to be fair on product mix but off-road will be on allocation till uh, the end of the year. And on your question on raw material, yes, uh, raw material in WIP is up uh, over $200 million this quarter compared to, uh, to Jan 31st. No concern on obsolescence. Uh, that inventory turns around very quickly. It's just a question of getting the missing parts in and then uh, retrofitting the units. So um, obviously it, the number is high, but uh, well under control. Okay, and then just one more if I could, since I'm near the rear here. Um, on that uh, number of 37% new entrants, you said only 7% uh, said the purchases were as a COVID-19 distraction. Kind of curious, don't know if you asked them, but maybe the second derivative, derivative of that, how many of those people had friends who bought as a COVID distraction last year, because that was kind of the bull case going forward. You have a bigger install base, more friends, keeping up with the Joneses, things like that. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't have. Maybe my team has, but I don't have the answer to to this question, uh, Garrett. Um, for sure, uh, we see that uh, we see that there is more. If I, I, I have a statistic that I can share with you, but the the new entrants are younger. Then the repurchaser, uh, 42% uh, versus 32 for the repurchaser. Uh, more women and more family-oriented, which is all positive, but I don't have the uh, answer to exactly what you're asking for. Yeah, no. Okay, that's fine. Thank you very much, guys. Welcome. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Petrie with CIBC. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, and thanks for all of the commentary so far. I just wanted to ask about um, uh, your expectations with regards to uh, the promo programs over the course of time. What's embedded in your guidance with regards to the back half of the year? Um, do you expect the current levels to sort of remain in place? And then looking forward into fiscal 23, um, do you expect that the industry sort of evolves a little bit in terms of how the pricing programs are, are utilized, uh, or do you expect that that normalizes over the course of time? Good morning, uh, Mark. Uh, when we talked back in March, uh, I indicated that in fiscal year 21, we had a, a positive tailwind from programs of about 200 basis points, uh, and we were uh, expecting that 200 basis points to remain in fiscal year 22. Obviously, with a strong performance we had in Q1, we've, we've adjusted that assumption. So now we're looking more at a 250 basis point uh, tailwind coming from programs. Next year, obviously, when we, we turn on the switch and it's February 1st, the inventory is still going to be lean. 
uh, we're thinking about inventory replenishment in fiscal year 22, so it's going to happen more probably in the back half of next year. Uh, so I'm expecting the first half of next year to still to be favorable on the commercial side. Um, and obviously, as I said, there are some important learnings that we are seeing from, uh, from COVID uh, and how we uh, tailor our programs that will stay with us going forward. Uh, and that will provide benefits to obviously the bottom line. How much? Uh, too early to call. Understood. Thanks a lot. Thanks. There are no further questions at this time. I turn the call back over to our presenters. Super. Thank you all for joining us this morning. And just before we let you go, we wanted to take the opportunity to invite you to join us for our virtual Canam off-road and three-wheel vehicle and CDU product introduction. The event will be held on August 11 and will also feature the, the official launch of the Project M. Uh, we look forward to sharing with you more information about this over the next few weeks, and we hope you will be able to join us. With that, thanks again, and have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.